despite falling, we find ourselves standing. The Torah is complex, but not beyond our understanding. Teshuvah enters our mouths before it gets to our hearts. On Moshe's last day, there are many lessons he imparts. Okay, so this week's Parsha is Parshat Nitzavim. And as I said in the rhyme, that uh, this is Moshe's last day uh, of life. So he is giving um, the nation all of these lessons. And in fact, the Parsha begins by he's giving the entire nation uh, a lesson. And he says the, the, the Parsha's namesake is Nitzavim, which means standing. But it means like it's not um, like Omdim, uh, which is the normal way to say standing. Nitzavim is even like stronger. It's like anchored. Um, and Rashi says that the reasoning for such, you know, strong words of standing, uh, of Nitzavim, not, not just normal standing, but like anchored, anchored in, um, Rashi says this is because last week's Parsha, we saw all of that tochacha, all of that rebuke that was in the Torah. And in this week's Parsha, he says, um, it, the, the Parsha begins by saying, despite all of that rebuke, despite all the bad curses and, and whatnot that might fall, uh, that might befall the Jewish people, Rashi says, despite all of that, the Jews are still standing. And it's really a message of hope that, you know, despite all the challenges that the Jewish people have gone through throughout, you know, many thousands of years, uh, at the end of the day, uh, the Jews are still standing even, even today. Um, moving on, so in that very beginning of the Parsha, um, the, the, Moshe says uh, that everybody is standing, kulchem, all of you are standing. And yet, after that, Moshe goes on and he delineates all of these different separate groups uh, that are standing there. He says the heads of tribes, the officers, the children, the women, water carriers, except water carriers, uh, etc. And you know what's interesting is which one is it? Is it Kulchem? You know, he could have just said all of you and not had to go through each and every individual type of person, uh, or he could have gone through every individual type of person and not said Kulchem. So why does uh, Moshe seem uh, inclined to say both kulchem, all of you, and in addition to that, actually spell out each one of these groups, uh, you know, for example, the officers, children, women, water carriers. Why is that necessary? So I heard a, a nice idea here that basically a community at Sibor, it includes both. It includes, on one hand, um, kulchem, on one hand, a community, on one hand, it's all one unit. On the other hand, um, every single individual person serves a special purpose in that unit and has their own special mission uh, in, in, that, uh, in that unit. So a community isn't exclusively one, you know, a community isn't exclusively one unit. And at the same time, a community isn't exclusively, um, you know, just separate and distinct uh, um, parties. It's sort of a combination of both. That's what makes a real community. So a nice idea here from the Orachaim, he also talks about these different uh, specific, you know, um, parts of the tribe, uh, of the Jewish people that Moshe calls out. Like I said, the heads of tribes, the officers, children, women, water carriers. The Orachaim says that each category implies that every single one of those groups is responsible for their own sort of sphere of influence. So each one of those groups, they have an ability to impact 
uh, a certain amount of people. You know, the head of tribe presumably has a lot of power to influence a lot of people. Um, is where, you know, a water carrier might have a little bit less power to influence people, but yet a water carrier could still influence, you know, other water carriers. The Orachayim says that basically every single person has a responsibility to make an impact on those that we can impact. Um, so one interesting thing in this group, it mentions young children. And young children presumably mean children that are under the age of 13, under the age of bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. So why is it necessary to say young children? Because what do they have to do with accepting the Torah? They, you know, children don't really, uh, aren't, uh, chayav, aren't, aren't obligated in mitzvot until they turn 13 or, or 12. Uh, so why is it that young children would be included in this group? What's the point? So I think an important message here is, is that it's for the child to remember what it feels like. You know, a lot of times, uh, the, the, you know, you, you don't know exactly what was said, exactly what happened, exactly what you did, but very often you can remember how it feels. And so while the young children, they might not be able to understand exactly what, you know, w- what they have coming once they turn uh, 13 years old, the reality is they will remember how it feels. They'll remember how being with Moshe and seeing, you know, the, the entire nation gathering together and Moshe speaking to them, one of the, you know, maybe perhaps the greatest Jew of all time, Moshe speaking to, you know, these young children, uh, even though the young children can't accept or, or don't really understand what's going on, they're still there and they're, they're still going to be impacted by it. Moving on, so uh, Moshe says that there's going to be a shoresh poreh, a, a root that's flourishing. And what this is referring to, a root that is a, a root of idolatry or a root of a vodazara that eventually is going to flourish um, and turn into um, something very, very dangerous. And, you know, I want to say that, so, so this idea of, what's this idea of a root uh, that's flourishing? So I heard here that really this, this shorish, this root, is curiosity. You know, when someone's curious, they're willing to explore. And a lot of the time that exploration will lead to something significant. So this root that's flourishing in the wrong direction will eventually turn into very bad things. As where I want to say the opposite is also true, that when someone's curious about good things, then in the end, they're actually going to grow into, um, you know, something important. And I think that's why maybe at the Pesach Seder, the, such a key element is the children asking questions, is the children being curious about things. And it's that curiosity, it's that shorish, it's that, it's that root, that, that the curiosity is the root of everything. And once that curiosity starts, eventually it'll lead, um, you know, in that, in that direction. So you want the curiosity to be at the Pesach Seder, obviously, for the good, so the curiosity will uh, turn into something productive. And, you know, the Torah also said that it's like adding water to the thirsty. You would think that the water would quench the thirst. You'd think the water would, would uh, satisfy the thirst, yet um, the, the Torah says here that when you add more water, you're just going to be more and more thirsty. And I think that's true with this idea of curiosity, that the more curious you are, you get a little bit of information. A lot of the times a real curious person, that doesn't satisfy them, that makes them even more curious. And again, curiosity kind of just builds on itself. And the more you add to it, in fact, as opposed to quenching the thirst, the more thirsty you become for new information. Moving on, so uh, the Torah says that this person, that, that, that the Torah says that there's going to be a person that goes the wrong direction. And as a result, um, 
the, the Torah says, peace, that, that person will, will say, peace be unto me, though I walk as my heart sees fit. And as a result of that person saying that peace will be with me, though I walk as my heart sees fit, the result is, is that Hashem will become very angry at that person. So there was a fascinating question here, is that why does this person who says, you know what, I'm going to walk as my heart sees fit, why does, why, why does Hashem being angry, why is that a punishment? This person clearly doesn't care what, you know, whether Hashem's angry, whether Hashem's kind, whatever. It's, that's not a consideration this person's worried about because they're going to walk as they see fit. They don't care about whether Hashem's angry or not. So uh, I heard a, a fascinating answer that when it says, Peace we be with me, though as I walk as my heart sees fit, that's actually not referring to the sinner. That's not referring to the person that's doing a vodazara. Rather, that's actually referring to a tzaddik. That's referring to a righteous person who they see this person doing a vodazara. They see this person going kind of in the wrong direction. And as a result, um, they, but, but yet they say, you know what, I'm good. Okay, I see other people in the community making mistakes or, or needing a little bit of help, but I know that I'm on the right path and I'm just gonna walk as my heart sees fit. And, as a re- and that person is a tzaddik who would care if Hashem was angry. And as a result, that's why the anger is a valid response because that person will care that Hashem's angry and as a result change their ways that basically they won't just turn the other cheek when they see something bad happening. Moving, uh, moving on, so uh, they, once, once the sinner um, you know, says, I'm going to just do as, do as I see fit and goes down the wrong path, then the Torah says that the land is going to be totally unproductive, it's going to be desolate, and when the later generation, when the Hador Ha'achron, uh, when that later generation comes, a later generation is going to say, I see that the reason that you're having all this trouble is because you didn't really, you didn't follow the Torah. You didn't follow what God commanded of you. But what's fascinating here is why does, why is it the later generation that knows this? Why is it the Hador Ha'acharon that recognizes that the, that, uh, the Jews kind of went, you know, um, off of, uh, off of their, off of their uh, path of following the Torah? And I think the answer here is that when someone's in the heat of it, when someone is the the person, when 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 the part, when it's the person themselves that are making the mistakes, when it's the current generation that's making the mistakes, they're not going to realize what they did. They're not going to realize that they did anything wrong. And sometimes it takes a third party. It takes that hador ha'acharon. It takes that later generation, somebody else, someone outside of yourself. To recognize that you're going down the wrong path, and yeah, I think this is even further enforced by uh, the Torah mentions that uh, revealed sins that those are for the entire community to carry, and meaning that basically those revealed sins, those sins that everybody sees, that uh, those are things that uh, the that the entire community is responsible for because um, they are sort of that third party. And sometimes it's very difficult when you, when you yourself are in the heat of the moment, uh, you know, doing a sin. It, it's sometimes hard to really recognize that you're doing anything wrong. And sometimes it takes a third party, someone else, someone outside of you, uh, Hador Acharon, a later generation, to actually come along and say, ah, now I see what the problem is. But when you yourself, when you're in the heat of it, you can't tell. And that's why it's important always to have a friend or to have somebody that's outside of yourself to sort of uh, keep you, you know, on the straight and narrow. Moving on, so um, 
eventually this person will repent. And it says that Moshe says, once the bracha and klala will come upon you, then you will do teshuva. Then you'll, you'll repent. So I heard an interesting question. Why does it mention both the bracha and the klala? Why does it mention both the blessings and the curses? You would have thought just the curses alone. You would have thought that once the person experienced, you know, curses, they would have maybe changed their ways. Why do you need bracha also? So I want to say here that really you need both. You need a balancing to understand that what you're doing is wrong and, and correct yourself. Because if you only have klala, if you only have curses, you're going to think that, okay, life is just tough, you know, and that's the way life is. But once you see bracha, you'll be able to, once you see blessing, you'll be able to sort of, it'll, it'll reframe um, and put, your, put, put yourself in a different perspective and realize that that klala doesn't necessarily have to be there. And uh, you, as a result, you'll do teshuva. So basically the reason why klala alone, klala by itself, curses by itself, that's not sufficient to do teshuva is because you're going to be so caught up in thinking that life is just hard, you're not going to think that there's a better way. But when you see both bracha and klala together, you'll realize the potential and you'll realize where you're at. And that's really when a person can actually accomplish great things, when they realize just where they can be. Moving on, so um, the Moshe says that the... Uh, that the Torah lo he that the Torah is not in the heavens, and um, specifically the Torah says ha mitzvot hazot that that this mitzvah is not in the heavens. So what's this referring to? So one of the commentaries say this is referring to teshuva. This is referring to repentance, and that this is not so far. This is not you know in the heavens. In fact, uh, the Torah says that it's bapicha uvilavev. Uh, that it's in your mouth and it's in your heart. So that this idea of teshuva, this idea of repentance, of, of teshuva literally means return. This idea of return is not so far away. In fact, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. And uh, don't think that it's all the way out in the heavens. And what's particularly interesting is Rav, uh, Rav Yosef Dov Salvechik, he says that you know, the Gemara talks about how the entire Torah was taught. It is taught to every single baby that is in the womb. And then once the baby's born, that Torah is lost. So the obvious question is, why teach it if it's all going to be lost once the baby's born? And the reason Rav Yosef Dov Soloveitchik gives is for this reason, is that once it's lost, there's still a part of you that is you. There's still, once you learn all of that uh, Torah in the womb, so to speak, you're going to feel inclined later in life it's going to feel comfortable. It's going to feel like it's in your mouth, like it's in your heart. It's not going to feel like it's some far distant thing all the way in the heavens. Rather, it's going to feel close to you. So even though you don't remember it anymore once you're born, it's still going to feel to a certain extent close to you. Um, and, you know, an, uh, an interesting idea for Rosh Hashanah here, uh, I heard from Rabbi Katz, the idea that the apple is commonly eaten on Rosh Hashanah is that the apple, of course, is covered in red and the inside um, is, is a different color, it's white. And Esav is represented by red, by the color red, um, and which sort of refers to like blood, murder, etc. And uh, just the, 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 the Yetzirah in general. And 
the apple is to show you that this idea of teshuva, of return, that ultimately, even though we might be red on the outside, even though we might be bloody, even though we might uh, sort of have the Yitzhahara look on the outside, on the inside, in the inside the apple is sort of a pure, uh, a, a pure white color. And basically that's the idea of teshuva, that once you return, once you kind of strip away that, uh, that red covering, that, that red skin on the apple, you have uh, a beautiful inside. And that's perhaps one of the reasons you eat an, uh, an apple on Rosh Hashanah, because it's this idea of returning, this idea of kind of stripping that red coat off of yourself, that red uh, apple skin away. So another point on this b'ficha uvilvavcha, that it's in your mouth and in your heart, it seems backwards. Why is it in your mouth and then in your heart? It should be first in your heart and then in your mouth. You know, you would think that you would first feel something, then you would say it. But really, that's not the reality of how human psychology works. First, sometimes, we have to actually say something, even if we don't believe it, even if it's not in our hearts yet. If we say it, if we... If we make it real, if we turn it into words, eventually those words will turn into action and those words will impact how we feel in our heart. So sometimes you have to do something a little bit external. You know, you can't always expect everything to feel right there in your heart. Sometimes you have to do it externally. You have to say it out loud, even though you don't feel it. And then once you say it enough times, eventually it'll creep into, into your heart. Um, so one other point, my last point on the Parsha is the, uh, Moshe says, um, and the Orachayim has a beautiful um, message on this. He says, this feels backwards. It feels like it should have said, that you'll have good and you'll have life. And good referring to mitzvot, the Orachayim says, and life obviously referring to life. Um, so he says that, that the Torah says that you'll have life and then you'll have, you'll have mitzvot. But the Orachayim said it should have been the other way around because you would have thought that first you would have the the mitzvot and then, okay, and then, you know, you live and you try to do, you know, you, 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 you try to do uh, the, the mitzvot once once you're alive. But rather, the Orachayim says the reason that it's flipped in the Torah than from the logical sequence, the reason it starts with Edachayim and then it goes to Edhatov is because the Orachayim says that a person's given life to in order to do the mitzvot. So you're not just, a person isn't just given life, stam. A person isn't just given life for no reason. In fact, the Orachayim says, you're given life in order to accomplish good. So the reason the Torah says, et hachayim, et hatov, is because that's the sequence. You're given life in order to accomplish great things. And that's a nice idea on Rosh Hashanah, of course, that, you know, while we're certainly hoping, you know, to live another year of life, we're not just hoping to live another year of life for no reason. Rather, we're hoping to live another year of life for the tov, for uh, the mitzvot that we could accomplish in that next year. Moving to recap some of the points I talked about. So I started by talking about the name of the parsha, Nitzavim, which means not just standing, but like anchored in. And Rashi says, that um, that basically despite the tochacha in last week's Parsha, despite all of the bad things that might come to the Jewish people if they don't follow the mitzvot, they're still standing there today. In fact, they're anchored in. And, um, you know, it's still true today that despite how many trials and tribulations the Jewish people have, have experienced over many thousands of years, the Jewish people are still, still standing here, still uh, anchored in. 
I also talked about how a community has both kulchem, all of you, and also at the same time, uh, Moshe gives, you know, delineates all these different parts of the Jewish people. He says the heads of tribes, the officers, the young children, women, water carriers, and that a community is both. A community is one unit, and at the same time, a community is also made of all these pieces and parts. And you need both elements. You need all the individuality, and at the same time, you need uh, the one singular community. And that's how you make a true, uh, a true unit, is by combining these two elements of community and um, individuality. Okay, so I also talked about how the Orachayim mentions that all these categories of people, the heads of tribes, officers, children, women, water carriers, these are all mentioned because every person is responsible for their sphere of influence. So whether you're a head of a tribe or a water carrier, you still have the ability to impact some amount of people, and it's your responsibility to make a positive impact uh, on those people. So I also asked the question, why does, the, um, why does Moshe say care about the young children? Because the young children presumably are under the age of bar bat mitzvah, and they're not chayev for mitzvot. They're, they're not obligated to mitzvot. So why is it that, they, uh, that they're mentioned here? And I said that really it's not so much about what, you know, what exactly was said, what Moshe said specifically. Rather, what matters is that the children will realize and will remember what it felt like to be there, what it felt like to hear Moshe, what it felt like to hear you know, one of the greatest Jews of all time speaking to them on their last day of life. And that impact, that uh, that impact that Moshe will have on them is far outweighs, you know, their the fact that they're not going to be able to follow anything that they say because they're too young. But uh, they're still going to be able to remember um, exactly how that made them feel when they were there with, uh, you know, to, to see Moshe on his last day of life. I also talked about the Shoresh Pora, the root that is flourishing. And I said that that Moshe gives it in the context of a root, a root flourishing toward bad things. But I said, on the other hand, this could be referring to good things. And this, this shorish, this root, is like curiosity. That uh, a curiosity is going to sprout and it, it will eventually grow into something more significant. So it's our choice whether we want to grow it into something significantly good or significantly bad. I also talked about how the Torah speaks about how it's like adding water to the thirsty. And that's what curiosity is like. Once you're curious and you get a little bit of an answer, you become even more thirsty, even more excited uh, for new information. And again, regardless of good or bad, maybe that's one of the reasons on uh, the Pesach Seder that there's such an emphasis on children asking questions because you want the curiosity to grow and uh, to grow in the right direction. So I also talked about how the Torah says once this person is following a Vodazara, he's going to say, peace be with me, though I walk as my heart sees fit. And as a result of, of saying that, the result is that Hashem is going to be angry. So I spoke about how, wait a minute, this makes no sense that a person would, um, that, 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 that a person that is following a Vodazara, is following idol worship, that this person would care at all that Hashem is angry with them. Why does that matter? So I heard an answer here that really that, that person that said, peace be with me, though I walk as my heart sees fit, that's actually referring to a tzaddik. It's actually referring to a righteous person that they see somebody else following a Vodazara and they realize that they could have a positive impact on them. Yet they say, you know what? I know I'm doing it all right. And I'm just going to walk as my heart sees fit, even though they had the chance to change them. And uh, that's, and, and that kind of person 
who is a tzaddik, who is doing the right thing, they would care if Hashem is angry. And it's teaching that person, that it's teaching that, that tzaddik, that righteous person, that they have the potential uh, when they see something that they, that they can change, that they could have a positive impact on it, uh, they should do that. Moving on, so I talked about the Hador, that, that once, the, once the, uh, the, the generation goes towards idol worship, then Hador Ha'acharon, the later generation, they will recognize that the problem, uh, all the problems befalling the Jewish people is because they didn't follow the Torah. So I said, why, why do you have to wait until the Hador Ha'acharon? Why do you have to wait until the later generation? Why not the current generation that's sitting? Why don't they recognize that what they did was wrong? And I said that this is kind of human nature, that we ourselves, in the heat of the moment, we never realize that what we do is wrong. And sometimes it takes an outside party, it takes a third party, somebody else, the Hador Ha'acharon, the later generation, to recognize and uh, to have the clarity to understand that what we're doing is wrong. And I said, it's an important thing to think about for us that we should always have kind of that third party, that, that friend, that someone outside of ourselves that's willing to, to straighten us up and keep us uh, on, the, on, a, on the right path. Um, I also talked about how the Torah says that the revealed sins are for us to carry. The fact that those revealed sins, the, the things that are public, that uh, again, we have, the, we have the way to impact them. We shouldn't just say, okay, I'm doing well and I'm going to walk as my heart sees fit. Rather, that those revealed sins, if we see someone else doing something and we think we could have a positive impact on them, uh, we, should, we should do that. I also, so moving on, um, the Torah says once the person... Uh, once the bracha and klala, once the the blessings and the curses come upon you, then they will do. Then that person will do teshuva. Um, so the question is, I asked why the bracha and klala. You would have thought once the curses come upon you, the curse only the curses, then that person would have done teshuva. Why does you? Why do you also have to have the bracha with it? Why do you also have to have blessing with it? And I said the reason is that when a person only has curses in their life, when a person only has hardship. They're going to think, okay, life is just hard. That's just the way it is. Yet, when a person has a combination of bracha and klala, of, of har- a hard life, but at the same time, elements and, and aspects of it that are good, then that person will realize that uh, by doing teshuva, by, by changing their ways, they have the potential to have it even better than they did. So if you only have klala, you're going to be so sort of, uh, you're, you're going to think that life is only difficult and that there's no potential for you. But if you have bracha and klala together, you'll realize that, yes, you know, parts of life are difficult, but if I do the right thing, I could have even more of the good that I've experienced. Moving on, so uh, Moshe says that the Torah is lo b'shamayim. It's not, it's not uh, out there in the heavens. Rather, it's b'ficha uvilvavcha, that uh, it's in your mouth and it's in your heart. So the Torah, it's not so far away. It's not... Uh, out in the heavens, and the commentaries say that this is referring to teshuva, they're referring to repentance, referring to return. And I talked about, you know, what is this idea of teshuva? And I mentioned that this idea that, you know, we eat, an, we eat apples on Rosh Hashanah because the apple has a red skin, like Esav, you know, Esav was covered in red, which kind of symbolizes the Yitzhara, the evil inclination. Um, and the, yet the inside of the apple is sort of a pure white, so to speak. So it's saying the idea of teshuva, of returning to yourself, is sort of peeling off that outside layer of red and finding sort of your inner self, what was in there all along. Uh, I also talked about b'ficha 
uviovavcha, that it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. Um, and it seems backwards, right? It seems like it should be first, it's going to be in your heart. First, you're going to feel it. And then it's going to, then you're going to say it. But rather, that's not how human psychology works. The human psychology works the way the Torah says it. First, you sometimes have to say something, even if you don't believe it. You're going to say it first. You're going to make do the action first, even if it's to not totally internalized. And once you say it, once you do it, then once, you know, once that external thing is done, then eventually it'll bleed into your heart. It'll come into your heart. It'll seep in. And, but the, the most important part is just saying it, even if you don't totally believe it. And eventually it'll sort of creep into your heart. Um, my last point, I talked about et ha'chaim ve'et ha'tov. And the orachaim, he mentions here that, again, you know, it's interesting why it seems, seems backwards. Seems like it should have said et ha'tov ve'et ha'chaim. Should have said, seemed like it should have said the, you know, for the good. And then you'll have, because of the good, meaning because of the mitzvot, as a result, you'll have life. But on the other hand, the Orchaim says, really, it's the opposite. Really, that for, we're, the whole reason we're given life is to do the mitzvot. So the reason that at, at, the reason that uh, is first is because we first have to, the, the, you know, we're first given life, but the whole reason we're given life is to do something more productive with it, is to do tov, is to do good with it. And, um, and you know, a nice idea for Rosh Hashanah that we don't only want to, you know, be praying for, for an extra year of life, of course, but the reason we want to be praying for an extra year of life is to do good with that extra year, is is hatov, is to do uh, good things. And, um, you know, that uh, should be something that we look forward to on, on Rosh Hashanah and throughout the year that, you know, we're not just living life, Stam, we're not just living life, you know, for any reason, but rather we're living life, the reason we're living is because of hatov, is because of the, the good that we can accomplish. To read my poem, Despite falling, we find ourselves standing. The Torah is complex, but not beyond our understanding. Teshuva enters our mouths before it gets to our hearts. On Moshe's last day, there are many lessons he imparts. And with that, l'chaim l'chaim.